Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. celebrate the Lord's table and to sing and to pray and to greet one another and uh, just spend some quality time together as a church family, as, as uh, followers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who share in the blessings of uh, redemption. That's uh, kind of our topic for the day. So... Uh, I just invite you to pray with me once again, if you would. Father, thank you for the opportunity now to turn to your word and to be instructed from your word as to the things that you would have us to be thinking about today as we we reflect on on what these things all mean, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts and open up your word to our understanding so that we can worship you today in spirit and truth and know you, the one true God our Redeemer, our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are on a three-year journey through the Bible. We are about September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. What's that? Nine months. We're about nine months into a three-year journey through the Bible, and we just uh, are coming out of the book of, uh, of Judges, which is a book of human depravity. Stories of people uh, without the rule of God in their lives. The theme of the book of Judges, the epitaph of the book of Judges is, in those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Um, The doctrines or biblical teachings of depravity can be, well, let's just say they can be a bit depressing when we think of just how bad things can get, and some of the stories in the book of Judges are really, really bad. Uh, We believe in Scripture. We believe in human depravity. Uh, We don't just believe it in terms of the world collectively. We believe it in terms of our own hearts. All of us are fallen by birth into the human race. We are born into a fallen race. Um, Our our church doctrinal statement says this, it's the fifth The fifth article begins, we believe all men are by nature and choice sinful and lost. And then it concludes with these words, a fallen race which is universally sinful in both nature and practice, thus alienated from the life and family of God under the righteous judgment and wrath of God and has within himself no possible means of salvation. That last part is really important, that the human race has within itself no possible means of salvation, that if we're going to be saved, we're going to need to be redeemed. We're going to need to be saved. We need a savior. And um, uh, the book of Ruth is just such a precious gift from God in this regard because it's, it's just the light of salvation just shines out from the book of, of Ruth. And I'm very thankful for it this morning. I want to jump right in because it's a four chapters and there's a lot to cover and we're not going to be able to look at all the details. But uh, nonetheless, we... Uh, we, I, I'm excited about uh, the times I've had in the book of Ruth over the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm excited to share with you today. Let's uh, turn to the book of Ruth, which is f- immediately following the book of Judges, and of course the first verse in the book of Ruth puts it in the time of the Judges. So we're talking about the same time period, and... Uh, The book uh, begins, Ruth chapter 1, we'll read the first five verses. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Milan and Chilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Milan and Chilion died. 
so that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. So the book of Ruth begins in the book of Judges, more or less, the time of the Judges, and it begins with a famine in the land. We've seen that before. Remember the patriarchs when we talked about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph? God often used uh, times of famine, times of want, hard times, because God does use hard things. This story begins in Bethlehem of Judah. That's a pretty familiar phrase, Bethlehem of Judah. Uh, what happens in Bethlehem of Judah uh, a thousand years after this account is a very familiar story, right? And this the event today, the story of Ruth today is not disconnected from that uh, at all. Um, so this man, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, um, travel from uh, Bethlehem. I think we have a map that we can show you. And I don't have my pointer. Uh, that's figures. I never have my pointer. Odd, ah, John or Don? Who's pointing? Don, thank you very much. So you see Bethlehem right there, Bethlehem and Judah, uh, not too far from uh, Jerusalem. And then if you look down on the right bottom, uh, the other side of the Dead Sea there, you see the, the land uh, of the Moabites. And I realize it's not as clear as it possibly could be but of a graphic, but uh, that's the land of Moab. So they travel from Bethlehem down to the land of Moab. And there her, uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and then her two sons took Moabite wives, and then those sons died. Not, not a great start. You know, famine, hunger, death. Um, sometimes stories begin in dire circumstances, and these is one, this is one of those types of stories. So now she's, she's uh, kind of alone. She has no one. Um, no family, no uh, biological connection going forward uh, to anyone. And so she decides to head back. This is Naomi. Her name means pleasant. And she decides to head back to uh, Bethlehem in Judah, where her inheritance is. And so she uh, wants to release her daughters-in-law from what would be a life of hardship and poverty as a widow living in, uh, in uh, Bethlehem. Um, if they were to stay connected with her, it would be a very difficult life. And so she, it says in verse 6 and following, then she arose with her daughters-in-law and returned to the country uh, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her, um, with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and she lifted up, uh, they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am old, too old, to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore re refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices, and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her word there, uh, rest, keeps coming up, and uh, we've seen that that's a theme. And uh, Naomi says, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord 
has gone out against me. Um, so she convinces Orpah to turn back, and Orpah turns back. But Ruth is another matter. And what follows is one of the most uh, beautiful confessions of love and faithfulness that you'll ever read. You may have actually seen this before on a wall somewhere because people have often taken this passage of Scripture and put it in the form of a plaque. I've heard, I've heard it used at weddings. I've seen it in lots of situations. These are the words on the lips of a young Moabite uh, woman, a widow named Ruth. Verse 15 through 18, she said, see your sister, this is Naomi speaking first, she says, see your sister-in-law, that'd be Orpah, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said these words to Naomi. She said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So she realized that, there was, that this Ruth was coming, no matter what. She was coming. Now, there's a couple of things here you could notice. You could notice that... Uh, Ruth uses the personal name of God when she's talking about the Lord here. She refers to him as Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And uh, you could also take note, uh, at least it's understood that uh, uh, by some scholars, uh, when they look at Ruth's words, that Ruth is actually, um, when she talks about where you, where you die, I will die, where you're buried, I will be buried, is, uh, is, uh, can be taken as an understanding that that her love and affection and her bond uh, with her uh, mother-in-law would even pass, surpass the, uh, the, the grave. That's uh, an incredible commitment that she's making here. It's, it's a solemn oath. It's written as a solemn oath. In case you're, you, you aren't aware, much of the book of Ruth is, 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 um, gives evidence of po poetry. It has poetic forms in it. It's a love story. Now ask yourself the question. How did Ruth come to know this Yahweh? How would she come to know Yahweh? She was a Moabitess living in Moab. Uh, and the only answer really that really satisfies is that Ruth came to, to know Yahweh through her relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi. That explains not only Ruth's relationship with Yahweh, but also Ruth's relationship with Naomi, her mother-in-law. What's your relationship like with your mother-in-law? This would be a good time for a mother-in-law joke, maybe, but Or maybe not. <laughs> the relationship between this young woman and this older woman is uh, striking. But we'll get more of a sense of that as we go on here. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 and 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That's Al Shaddai, the Almighty One. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. 
at the beginning of the barley harvest. They come into Bethlehem and the, the whole town's a buzz, it says. Everybody's talking, and especially the women are talking. And they're all, because women do that. No, it's a good thing. Talking is a good thing. Communication. Where would, can you imagine the world without women? Men would be, we'd all be just grunting at one another. It's a good thing. They're all talking, but they're, but, but they're, they're, they're shocked. It's like, that can't be Naomi. She looks so different. She looks tired. She looks old. She looks maybe even bitter. Take it easy, though. <laughs> I, I talk about things I don't know all the time. She's gone from wealth to poverty. She's gone from being full to being empty. She went away full, she says. And she's come back empty. And she says, don't call me by my name, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Lord, El Shaddai, the Almighty One, has brought calamity upon me. It's harvest time. It says there that they came back at harvest time. I love how the whole story of Ruth is set against the historical, cultural uh, uh, setting of the ancient Israel Israeli harvest, the grain of the harvest, uh, grain harvest time. How does our story start? In chapter 1, verse 1, it starts with what? A famine. And where was the famine? Where were they? Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? Do you remember? House of bread. But there was a famine in Bethlehem. And they went to Moab, and, and when they heard the news that, that God had done something in, in, uh, in Israel, what, what, where were they? What, did they? what does it say they, they, that she was, Naomi was where? Did you see that? It says she was in the field. And when they came uh, uh, back, they came back because they heard that God had done what? He had given food. He had given bread to his people. And, the, and they come back into Bethlehem, the house of bread, and it's harvest time. The, the whole setting of the whole book of Ruth is set against this backdrop of the harvest. And it's very significant. Do you remember what Jesus said about the harvest? He said the real harvest is the people that you love and care about that you need to reach out to and embrace them and share the good news with them. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Remember that? The theme of harvest and the concept of harvest permeates scripture. Paul said about, he said this, he said, Be not deceived, for God is not knocked. Whatsoever a man sows, so shall he also reap. And there is in this idea of harvest, there is this idea of sowing and reaping, and there is this idea uh, that, that, that's uh, integral to, this, to the, whole, the whole story here as we go on. So Naomi has gone away, uh, gone from abundance to want, from wealth to poverty. She went away being full, and she has returned empty. And this is where the story takes a turn. Because this is where we meet Boaz. That's where the story always turns, right? When the man comes into the picture. You just wait and see now. It's going to happen. 
Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Didn't really know where she was going because she didn't know anybody. But, but, but Naomi was old. She couldn't go out in the fields and work like she used to work. But Ruth was still young. She was a young widow. Her husband had died young. And so she said to her, her mother-in-law, who was really more than his, her mother-in-law by now, wasn't she? She said, let me go and glean in, in whosoever uh, sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Uh, I have to tell you, I've had a hard time this week keeping myself together. This has blown my mind here. It's enlarged uh, my heart. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, divine providence, she happened to come to the part of the field or that parcel of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. There's wonderful pictures here of ancient life in Israel. And one of them is coming right on the scene right here in this idea of, uh, of, of gleaning. She went to glean in the fields. The Old Testament law, the law of Moses, had provisions for the poor built right into the law. And the gleaning laws were part of that. Uh, Don, if you could bring up that passage, thank you. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 says, When you reap the harvest of your field. Now this was written in the wilderness about when they would come into the land as a people. And God says, When you reap the harvest of your field, and you shall reap, um, you shall reap, your field right up to the edge, uh, you, you shall not, sorry, I missed the word not. You shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger, the sojourner. I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. That's Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. So what they would do is they would farm together. They, they, uh, there was this idea of personal private property, but they worked together. And so they would, have these, they would work these large, large areas of, of, of fields, and they would de, uh, de, de use uh, probably like rocks as markers to divide up the field so there were lines and so Boaz has had his uh, portions of the field that belonged to him, but they all worked uh, the fields together, which is, uh, is quite, I think, is quite an interesting and quite an interesting picture. Uh, there's a significant element of cooperation that we see in, in these accounts. And uh, so she goes and she starts to work in, as the Lord would have it, in the parcels belong to Boaz, and uh, do you know what happens next? She caught his eye. She turned his head. Maybe she was a really pretty girl. Doesn't say. Maybe she was like so many of the, uh, the women in the, in the Middle East, you know, with those striking dark features and big round, beautiful eyes. and What was it that caught his attention? Well, you might be surprised. He inquired, we're told, about her. He asked one of the workers, you can read it in chapter 2 there, who is this woman? And they told him that she was the Moabite woman that Naomi had brought back with her. And immediately Boaz moves. He's a man of, uh, of, of power. He's a man of, 
of um, authority. He's a man of property. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of stature. We know that from the storyline. We're already told in verse 1 that he was a worthy man. And that word worthy is translated in different ways. Sometimes it's translated wealthy. Sometimes it's translated man of valor, man of character. In other words, he was a, what we would call a good guy. Mm. Yeah. So he moves immediately and starts caring for her. He, he, he t- talks to her and he tells her, don't, you don't need to glean way back here. You come right up here behind the, behind the, 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 reap, uh, the reapers. And, uh, and he says, and you, you stay with my, my, my girls, the girls that I'm responsible for here, the women, these, these ladies. You stay with them, and, and, and that will prevent you from being harassed or, 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 or hassled. And then he spoke to the workers, and he said, listen, I don't want you, she, no matter how close to you she gets, you just leave her alone. Don't you scold her. In fact, he, he said, let her just do her thing. And he even said, while you're at it, why don't you take some, some grain from your, from your sheaves or your bundles and just leave it there for her. Now, the gleaning rights were rights that the poor had. They were written in such a way as the, 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 the poor were entitled to the gleanings of the fields. But this goes beyond the gleaning rights. This is special privilege. This is special favor. And, and Ruth knows it because she says to, uh, to him, she, she shows her... her uh, her uh, appreciation it says in uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 10 then she fell on her face bowing on the ground and she said to him why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner now I <laughs> got me got a kick out of uh, uh, who was it one of the commentators Leon Morris he says that the word worthy man in chapter 2 verse 1 uh, I mentioned to you that it can mean wealthy man, man of valor, man of character, and so on. And Leon Moore says that, 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 that he, he envisions uh, uh, the medieval knight. So I thought, this is interesting. This is Ruth's knight in shining armor. This is the mighty man coming to rescue the needy woman. Don't you just love that story? Eh, maybe not so much. Because we're modern people. We don't believe those kinds of things anymore, right? We well, just hang in there. Because it just gets better and better and better. He was a good guy. He had power. He had position. He had privilege. What do you do with that? Now, this is where we find out what it means for him to be a worthy man and, what we f- and where we find out more about this gal, Ruth, too, at the same time. It says in uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, this is how, you know, she's, she's saying, oh, how can I ever thank you enough? And this is his response, okay? All that you have done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. See, this is significant and it's interesting because this tells us what he really saw in her. Because as soon as he found out who she was, he already knew all about her because he had heard all about her. Because he heard how she had sacrificed her future to care for somebody that she cared about who had no one. No one to care for. So understand what's happening here. 
This is not your typical harlequin romance kind of stuff. And we're just getting started. Then look, verse 12. The Lord repay you. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Remember I told you that the book of Ruth has poetry, poetic form in it? It's hard because you're going from Hebrew to English, but, but you know we depend on scholars to tell us this, these kinds of things, but you can see it here, can't you? It says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's that imagery of a, of a, a mother bird pulling. And Jesus uses that same imagery when he talks about, about his relationship with Israel and, and talks about his father, how God would take, want to take us and he'd want to take us and, and uh, take us under his wings, as it were. And so here uh, Boaz says, you know, may the Lord repay you for what you have done and give you a full reward, uh, the, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's not only beautiful, uh, it's also the key passage in the book. It's, or at least it could be, it's, it's a very important passage. So this man, Boaz, seems to have understood what real love is. And he saw it in Ruth. And it wasn't how she treated him. It was how she treated her mother-in-law. The one she had come to love as one would love their own mother. Keep all these family connections in mind because we are not straying at, at all from the main point of this book when we talk about family. Boaz is not the hero of the book of Ruth. But we'll talk more about that as we come uh, to later sections here. He says, may the Lord repay you. You know, the idea of repayment, or I would, we would say justice, is never far from the central theme of the book of, of Ruth either, as it is in, in the book of Judges. Remember, the book of Ruth is set in the time of Judges, right? And uh, uh, Don, if you could bring J Judges 1-7 up. This is Judges 1-7. Chapter 1, verse 7. Remember this? Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table as I have done so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. When we talk about God repaying, it's not just for the bad stuff we, we do. It's not just that God repays evil for evil because he is the judge. God also repays good for good because he is the judge. It works both ways. And in the book of Ruth, there is this idea of God repaying the characters in the story of Ruth for the good that they have done. Under whose wings you have taken refuge. Um... Yeah, we could talk about more about the book of Judges and that, but we won't, we won't do that. Let me see. Uh, where do I want to pick up? Chapter 2, verse 13, there's a phrase there um, uh, where Ruth responds, and it says, uh, you know, you you have spoken kindly, and they say that in the Hebrew there, it's literally, you have spoken to the heart. Of. It's not a superficial, shallow kind of thing. This is there's not this is not this is not romance. 
This goes way deeper than that. Um, so Ruth heads home after a hard day work. Uh, hot. Any of you ever work in the fields? If some of the Jamaican ladies that are here today, they, they do a lot of field work. Um, I have to admit I haven't done much field work in the last half of my life. In the first half of my life, I did a good amount, whether it was weeding gardens or scooping blueberries or whatever, or picking brush up out of the blueberry field or, you know, whatever, cutting alders, uh, all that kind of work. It's hard, hot work. And uh, so uh, Boaz's kindness to her was so much appreciated. Now she's back home and she's got this big uh, sack of grain and, and she ha even has all the leftovers from supper that because Boaz gave her twice as much as she needed. Why would he do that for Naomi, right? And so now she's back home and Naomi uh, sees her coming and sees what she's brought and... Um, so you ask her how, you know, how she made out, how did you, how did you make out? I think she's kind of anticipating a, a good answer because of what she sees. And uh, uh, Ruth says in chapter 2, verse 19, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And when Naomi hears Boaz's name, she starts to praise God because what she says is to, to Ruth, she says, Boaz. <laughs> I recognize that name. He is our Goel. And I can just picture um, Ruth, maybe like some of you going, what's a Goel? What are you saying? No, he's our Goel. In the Old Testament law, again, we have the gleaning laws, the other part you have to understand about the book of Ruth is the laws of the kinsman or the laws of the kinsman redeemer. Uh, as Sean mentioned earlier. I just want to go with you to Leviticus 25. You can go there. I don't, I'm not going to put it on the screen. It's a long passage. We are going to read it together, uh, or I'm going to read it and, and uh, invite you to listen. This is from Leviticus 25. Um, I'm reading from verse 25 and following. It says, If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. That's the Hebrew goel. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself comes, becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his, uh, to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee when everything went back. This is a concept we do not have in our in our culture, but it was in part of their Jewish law. In the Jubilee, which was every 50 years, it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of the sale, but a full year he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee, which probably has direct bearing on Nabal's vineyard, but um, anyway... Um, that's later. If your brother, verse 39, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve you um, with you until the year of Jubilee. If a stranger, verse 47, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to a stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. The idea here is an idea of family care and obligation. That's what family does. In fact, it, one of the things that amazed me this week as I was studying this is I had a real hard time finding out whether this word, goel, meant redeem or relative. 
because some of the sources I checked kept telling me that the word actually means relative or near relative or, if you will, kin. He's talking about a kinsman, a person being a kinsman. And, and it took me a while to wrap my head around this because w- what appears to be the case is that, that, um, that the word goel literally means kin, but it also means what we think of as redeemer simply because, are you listening? Simply because that's what kin does. That's what relatives do. That's what family does. When we're in trouble, family comes in. Family steps up and family steps in and they do what family does for the interest of the other, the one who has not, the one who is in hard times, the one who is in trouble and can't help himself. And this rule of the kinsman redeemer was, uh, is related to another section of the Old Testament family law, which was covered a situation where somebody died without an heir. So if you were a man in Israel and you married a, your, a, a, a woman and then you died before you could have children, your brother was obligated to step up and step in and take your widow as your his widow as your wife. I got it backwards. You know what I'm saying. And have a child on your behalf who would bear your name so that you would have progeny. You would have a descendant. You would have someone to, to bear your name. That, that was something that your, your brother was expected to do. And if your, your next of kin, your, your kinsman, was uh, unable for some reason to do it, then it went to the next closest relative, to another brother or even to an uncle or to a, a cousin, somebody. Somebody has to step up. Somebody has to step in and act on your behalf because you aren't able to because you're dead. That's the way it was set up, which is interesting. We're not used to those kinds of uh, things being what they are, but carry on his name. Deuteronomy chapter 25, you can read it if you want. And um, so... Let's just try to get through the rest of the story, but, um, that, that, but keep that in mind because it's really, really important. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, uh, says to Ruth, my daughter, should I, um, should I not seek rest for you that you may be, uh, may be well with you? Chapter 2 takes it to us to the end. They, Ruth worked with Boaz in the field for the rest of the, uh, the harvest, and the end of the harvest comes, and Naomi says to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Chapter 3, verse 1. That it may go well with you is a reference to, De- to Deuteronomy. And she gives Ruth these specific instructions, and she tells her, she says, she says, this is what I want you to do. This is what you need to do. You need to go down. It's evening time. You need to go down to the threshing floor. Take note of Boaz, and take note of where he lies down at the end of the day when he, when he lies down by the grain to sleep. Those are perilous days, right? Read the book of Judges, right? So when he lies down to sleep, take note of where he lies down, and then go quietly and lay down at his feet. And I, we don't know how much of this custom uh, Naomi explained to Ruth, but, but she did what she was told. She did what her mother-in-law told her to do, and she went down to the threshing floor. She took note of where Boaz was, had, uh, uh, was, and when he lay down, she quietly went over and laid at his feet. He was sleeping. But at midnight, he wakes up. And it says he wakes with a start. The word literally there is afraid. He woke. He, somebody's at his feet, right? And he, and he looks down, and uh, there she is. He, she, he can't quite see. It's like, who are you? And she says, it's me, Ruth. And um, let me see here. It's chapter uh, 3, verse 8. 
At midnight, the man was startled, turned all over, and behold, a woman that lay at his feet, and he said, Who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, a goel. Now, <laughs> you, you know, I think that's a strange, it's kind of a strange marriage proposal, but in this context, that's exactly what this was, was a marriage proposal. And so just for the record, Ruth proposed to Boaz. And Boaz said yes. And the imagery there, it, it, the, the word that's translated wings, spread your wings over me, it, garments were often used symbolically and, and uh, in biblical times. And the same word for the hem of a garment was the same word for the wings of a bird. And so this all ties back in, right, to what Boaz had said about God, about Ruth seeking shelter and seeking refuge under the wings of the Almighty. And there's so much in there uh, that it's, it's just an incredibly uh, beautiful picture. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of points in the book of Ruth that God wants us to take note of. Ruth's nationality keeps coming up over and over again. It's like we know she's a Moabitess, but it comes up in the text. It's, it's there over and over. Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. And her nationality uh, is something that the writer wants us to take note of. But then there's all these other themes like justice and honor and valor and sacrifice and love and kindness, harmony, um, solidarity, cooperation, goodwill, blessing, rest, family, belonging, identity. All of these themes weave throughout the book. But there's still a couple of literary twists coming at the end. And uh, we're going to try to wrap it up here. I know, I know we're going over. I knew we would before we started. But, um, so chapter uh, three, uh, chapter four, sorry, is, is beautiful. Uh, because Boaz gets up the next day and he goes up to the gate of the town. Gates were very significant places in biblical times. That was the civic center of the town. All the elders were, you know, normally when they weren't doing something else, they would, they would be at the gate. They would, you know, judge cases there. There would be different things going on. Boaz goes up and takes his place at the gate because there's somebody else that's closer related. All right, you, you didn't read it. You probably have read it because hopefully you're reading along as we're going through the Bible. But, and so, but if you read through it, the, the honor and the dignity that Boaz shows uh, his propriety and his skill, uh, settling this matter, uh, settling this matter on behalf of Naomi and Ruth, becoming their goel. And then we're told in chapter 4, verse 13 to 17, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of of David. And as the story of Ruth closes, comes to a close, the focus is not on Ruth. Here are all the women to the town. This is, this is really quite something. All the women of the town, they come over, and there's the new uh, mom with the new baby, and the dad must be somewhere there, but we never hear about him anymore. Uh, they go in, and they walk right by Ruth, and they say, Naomi, Naomi, you know, God has blessed you. He's, you know, and maybe Ruth was, was quite all right with that because I think she probably was, you know. Uh, and I don't know if Boaz was all right with that or not, but I think he was too, standing off there quiet in the corner. He's done his duty, and now he's not, you know, part of the story anymore. And 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 you and you know you know what? Look, if you <laughs> if you uh, if you miss this, it's it's really um, <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, did you did you did you catch did you catch who the redeemer is in the story? 
Somebody said it. It's the baby. Um, read it. Read it again. Starts in verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who was not who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than worth more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. He is the Redeemer. He will be the restorer of life. And once again, in, 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 the, in the Old Testament, we see this great hope of the one who would come. May his name be renowned. May he be the restorer of, of life to you. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, I want to talk with you in closing just a little bit about Jesus. It won't take long. But you know, the New Testament letters are full of this idea that Jesus is our redeemer. He's uh, our redemption. Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He also says uh, in uh, the book of Romans, he says that we who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I th find that interesting in light of the women's comment about the Redeemer being a nourisher of Naomi's um, old age. And may he, his name be renowned. Jesus is the name above all names. Right? Um, now, we, use, we don't use the word redeem a lot in our culture. Our, our culture has pretty much lost the the idea of redeem, when we use the word redeem, we talk about redeeming coupons, stuff like that. We've even lost, the, the meaning has changed and has largely been lost in our culture. But when we use it a lot in the church, we talk about uh, the, the Redeemer, Jesus. We, we talk about redemption. We sing about it in our songs. We, we sing about re being redeemed, right? And, and stuff. And, but if you ask uh, somebody, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? Um, and they might even tell you what it means. They may have learned it. You may have learned it already, what it means to be redeemed. What's it mean? To be bought back. It means to be bought back. But that's not all it means. It means way more than that. Because Jesus didn't just buy us back. He's the restorer of life, it says, right? Restorer of life. I want you to think about the story. And I want, I want just, if we try to you know, wrap our minds around this a little bit, um, he became kin to us. The kinsman redeemer, the Goel of the Old Testament, was family. That was the main idea. You know, it says in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. It says that there. He owned us. He stood up and he stepped up and he stepped forward and he said, I will. I will pay that debt because I am the Goel. He embraced us as his own. He became kin to us. He came into our family to bring us into his family. He's not 
just our Redeemer. He's our kinsman Redeemer. He became eternally connected with us. Think about that. He became eternally connected with us. You know the old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? Jesus chose us as family. He chose to become part of the human race. He identified with us. In fact, it says in, you know, in the uh, Hebrew lexicon, if you look up the definition there, uh, if you look up in the Hebrew, uh, Brown Driver Briggs uh, Hebrew lexicon for the, 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 the uh, uh, definition of redemption, or goel in Hebrew, it says, to redeem, comma, act as kinsman, or act as kin. In other words, Redeeming is what a kin does. And the reason that redeem means what redeem means is because that's what brothers do. Now, I want to say one more thing. I promise this is the last thing I want to say. Here's something significant. Jesus did not become our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, because he was obligated to. In the Old Testament law, the kin had an obligation. I find it hard to use those words without thinking of the Beverly Hillbillies, but, but I don't want to end on the Beverly Hillbillies. I want to end on the fact that Jesus became our Redeemer because he loves us. Not because he was obligated, because he was not obligated at all. He became our brother. Think about that. So when you think about this amazing and beautiful story, let's stand, stand up. You, it's time to stand. You've been sitting a long time. When you think about this beautiful story, you think about Ruth and, and the love she had for Naomi. Somebody who had um, no one And Ruth sacrificed her own happiness for Naomi. And you think about the bond that Naomi had with Ruth, and then you think about Boaz and, and how he was an honorable and worthy man and how he, he stepped up to do what family does. Then you think about Jesus. And you think about what he did for you. And he didn't do it out of obligation. He did it because he loves you. So what do you think of that? The fact that Jesus would love you that much, that he would be willing to do that for you. Those, it's very humbling. Those are the family ties. Those are the ties that bind. Those are the bonds that we have in Christ and why the Bible and the New Testament is so filled with those family images. To think that he would not be ashamed to call me his brother. I'm just going to close in prayer, but I, I, um, I wonder today if you've, have you, have you responded to that? You have. What's the proverb say? A friend that sticks closer than a brother. You have a brother who became your brother when he didn't have to be your brother to do what brothers do. He took your place. He paid your debt. When you couldn't do it, you were helpless. I was helpless. Let's bow our heads. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, your Redeemer, he, he is your Goel. He is the one. He chose to become. 
And that relationship that he wants to have with you is what life is really and truly all about. It's not all about stuff that you watch on television. It's about love, kindness, and sacrifice, and honor, and justice, and integrity. It's about family. It's about belonging. It's about identity. It's about Jesus Christ. Will you open your heart to him today? Will you open your heart to the Redeemer? Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand these things so that we can enter into them. And uh, we would give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.